hear the word of the Lord, Jeremiah 15, 15. O Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake I bear reproach. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because your hand was upon me, for you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be like me, like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? This is the word of the Lord. Well, again, good morning and uh, welcome to the Campus of Christ Community. My name is Nathan. Uh, let, me, let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into these words together. Father, as we just sang, God, we pray that those words be true for us that together we would cry out for you to pilot us, to lead us. God, we've, um, I've tried often enough to be my own pilot, and I see where it takes me. God, I, I pray that we would see um, your correction and your guidance as a, as a path to joy and, and wholeness. And so as we look at your word now, we ask that you would speak. Show us more of who you are, more of who we are, and how through Jesus you can bring us closer together. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there are certain things in life that are just universal, or at least nearly universal uh, to being a human, right? Things that we all as humans, like we all eat, we all sleep, we all go to the bathroom. Uh, we all love pleasure. We hate pain. Uh, we all experience fear, rejection, uh, loneliness, right? All these, these kinds of things. We all, we all love pizza, right? Uh, and Star Wars and hiking in the woods, right? Okay, I think so. Uh, at, least, at least to me. Like, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter who you are. There are certain things, right? Like there's this long list. It doesn't matter who you are, where you were born, what you believe, that are just part of being a human, right? Like, for example, prayer. I know, it's weird, right? But, but prayer is a universal human phenomenon. Like studies have been shown, like everybody prays. It doesn't matter who you are, you pray, right? Muslims pray, Buddhists pray, Christians pray, non-religious people pray, even atheists occasionally pray. Everybody prays. I mean, it's, it's praying when you feel desperate is as human as sweating when it gets hot, Right? Everybody does it. That, that feeling of gratitude, for example, which just sort of wells up inside you in a moment of joy, and you don't even know who to thank, right? It's like a, it's like a prayer half uttered. Or, or those moments of fear, right? You, you know them when, when it's 2 a.m. and your daughter's still not home. Or, or last year, some of you might remember this story, when I almost died on my bicycle. Um, that was great, right? I, I prayed in that moment, uh, 
that adrenaline-fueled prayer, not because I'm a pastor, right? I'm so spiritual. These are words I would not have said in church, I assure you. Um, but I prayed in that moment thinking death and dismemberment was on, my, on its way to find me, right? I prayed because the words just came out. In fact, philosopher William James, often referred to as the father of American psychology, he, he once said, the reason why we pray is simply that we cannot help praying. Everybody prays. Now, how you pray, who you pray to, what you pray for, how often you pray, all of these things differ dramatically, don't they? And as we look at Jeremiah's prayer this morning, we heard it read just a moment ago. Here's what I walk away with, and I think it's true for all of us, that the, the way you pray reveals the kind of God that you believe in. We all pray. We have that in common. But the way you pray reveals the kind of God that you believe in. And for some of us, I mean, if we're honest, right, some of you, we, we pray like it's our Amazon wish list because your God is a genie who exists to make you happy, right? Others of you pray like a, a computer trying to upload information to a server, right? If we can just transfer that information up there, then he's got it and it's fine because your God is, is distant. He's impersonal, right? Uh, for, our, for others of us, maybe, maybe you rarely pray at all because your God is, is he's either weak or uncaring. He's not going to do anything about it anyway, so why bother? Like the way you pray reveals a whole lot about you and a whole lot about the God you believe in. And so the question this morning for all of us, I've been wrestling with it this week, is what do my prayers say about me? What God do I believe in? Turn to Jeremiah 15. Because we, we've been with Jeremiah the last month or so, right? And, and, and Jeremiah reminds us, if you've been here from the start, right, that, I mean, the big theme of Jeremiah for us is that, like, if you think you can handle your life, you're doing it wrong, right? We've said that. that, that the life God calls us to is too big for us. It's, it's too hard. Like, we're tired out running, with horse, running, running alongside others when God says, you know, you're going to run with horses, he says to Jeremiah. We can't do it on our own. And you might, you might recall as well that Jeremiah is a prophet in just about the worst time in all of Israel's history, right? We, we saw last week uh, that yes, they still went to church, right, or temple, uh, but their lives were a colossal mess, right? They're, they're committing all kinds of injustice to their neighbors and the people around them. Mar- the marginalized are being completely thrown, thrown aside, as well as just this incredible sense of sh- sin and shame and idolatry. It's, it's all around them and they're drowning in it. And Jeremiah has been called by God to call his people back. He's been trying, like so many times already. It's only chapter 15. There's 52 chapters in Jeremiah. And over and over and over, he's warning God's people, like, if you don't turn from your sins, all hell is going to break loose. The Babylonians are gaining strength, and they will come, and they will destroy us. They will take everything from us. And Jeremiah preaches, and he preaches, and he preaches. For 40 years, he preaches, and maybe two people listen, right? That's it. Before, before Judah is finally destroyed, the temple burned to the ground as well as all their homes and everything that they have. And Jeremiah, here, here in chapter 15, like he's just been taking it from both sides, right? The people are like, you idiot, we're not going to be destroyed. It's fine, we're God's people, right? And God is like, tell them that they're going to be destroyed. Like, tell them again and again and again. So, so Jeremiah, he feels like he's caught in the middle, right? 
And in, in chapter 15, you just feel his despair. Listen to what he says, verse 10. He says, woe to me, my mother. He's talking to his mom, I guess. You know, some, some sort of like, you know, declaration or, or feeling of pain. Woe to me, my mother, that you bore me. A man of strife and contention to the whole land. What's interesting, if, again, if you were here, when God called Jeremiah, he, he said, from, from the womb I have known you. I've, I've seen you. From, I've formed you in the womb, right? That's, that's important in, in Jeremiah's story. And now Jeremiah said, yeah, I know you saw me in the womb, God, but I wish, Mom, why didn't you just miscarry? That would have been so much better for me than this. That's, that's the place Jeremiah is in. And so God responds back, you know, Jeremiah, I've got this. This is what I've called you to. It's going to be fine. You know, here's a little salt for your wounds. I mean, that's what, it, that's what it feels like for Jeremiah. And so Jeremiah prays, verse 15. Again, we heard this just a moment ago, but let me read some of it again. He says, oh, Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors in your forbearance or patience. Take me not away. Know that for your sake I bear reproach. God, I'm, I'm tired of being mocked by, by the people I'm trying to help for your sake. In verse 16, your, your words were found, God. I found them. I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because your hand was upon me. God, I'm yours. I've done everything that you've asked me to. And so verse 18, why is my pain unceasing? My wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook? Like waters that never, waters that fail? And basically like, why do I have this festering scab on my soul that just won't be healed? And God, why do you keep picking at it? Like, have you, have you lied to me? Like, God, I, I have preached that you are an ever-flowing stream. And that was back just in chapter 2. And now, was it a mirage? Is that it? A deceitful brook luring me deeper into the desert? Like, you just... You, you feel his despair, right? His accusations toward God. Like, have you, you betrayed me. You've sent me out to the desert to die. I thought there was water out there. I thought you were going to provide for me, and there's nothing. I mean, he, he's afraid of his enemies. He's lonely. Everybody's, everybody's abandoned him. And on, on top of that, I mean, God had said you can't get married, right? You're not going to have kids. So you're just, you're just alone, Jeremiah. He's hurt. He's disappointed by God. And now he's just he's angry, caught in the middle between God and his rebellious people. And so what does Jeremiah do? Sad face on social media? Abandon his calling? Run away? Stay in bed the rest of the week? Put on a brave face. You know, suck it up. Pretend that it's all just fine. Reject his faith altogether? And what would you do? Jeremiah prays because Jeremiah believes in a God who wants all of him, even the ugly parts. I mean, even the anger, the fear, the despair, even the accusations. He prays to a God who can take it. 
And this week I've been thinking about Jeremiah's prayer and I've been thinking about the ways in which I tend to pray and it's made me wonder, do I pray to a God who wants all of me? Like, do I really believe that about God? Not, not, just, not just the nice parts, right? The frills, I have some of them, right? A few. Or do I, do I pray to a God who can take it? Not, not one who just lets me come to him. If I'm neat and tidy, if I, if I play by all the rules, hiding who I really am. Or let me, let me ask it another way. Do, do you pray as you think you should? Or do you pray as you really are? Of what's really inside you? I mean, we're all going to feel like Jeremiah at some point to some extent. And when you do, I mean, there's really just a few options, right? Uh, you can reject God completely. And, and some of you, I mean, sadly, some of you will. When life falls apart, you're just done. You're going to leave. Others of us, and perhaps more, more likely, maybe you're not willing to go that far, but you're just going to keep God at arm's length, right? When, when things get messy or hard, I'm going to keep it impersonal, keep him away a little bit, repress those feelings, right? Pretend they're not really there. I'm not angry. Uh, God, I'm, I'm fine, right? Stop asking, right? Because it's easier that way, isn't it? I mean, this kind of vulnerability here is painful, isn't it? I mean, for Jeremiah to know how he's feeling, to be able to express those to his God, it hurts. And, and frankly, the closer you are to God, the more it hurts. I mean, isn't that true? Like, if you're, if you're not a Christian and you pray, you ask God to do something for you, he doesn't do it, you're disappointed, of course, but it's kind of like the disappointment of, of not winning the lottery, right? Because you're not really expecting that much anyway. But if you've been with God for a long time, like you've been walking with him, you know him, you're like Jeremiah, like, God, I, I, I thought we were friends. And still the loneliness stays. I mean, how many times do I have to ask, right, to take the, the depression away or the anger or the fear or whatever? The, it's still the same, God. The circumstances. I mean, it's almost harder when you're close to him, isn't it? Actually, there's no almost about it. It is harder. God, I thought we were together on this. And in those moments, hard as it is, you just have to do it again. To cry out to him. Jeremiah does this over and over and over again throughout this book. Because he believes in a God who wants all of him, even his broken heart even his accusations, even the mess that he makes and the messes around him. And God can take it. You know, I know I, I say this often, but one of the most amazing things about our God, the Christian God, is that not only does he invite us to be able to express how we really feel to him, he even gives us the words to express it. Like, what other God does that? Like, this book is full of prayers, like Jeremiah's, of people who are hurting and desperate and angry and wondering, God, what have you, what have you done? Like, I mean, these, these days, it's sort of, uh, you know, in vogue to, um, you know, for an extreme atheist to, to write a, a book about the God they don't believe in, kind of accuse him of all, of all these kinds of things, right? You've probably seen some of those blog posts or books or whatever, and I'm not trying to be critical of them, but they, they, they pose these accusations as if they're new, Right? Like, God already, like, those are in here. Like, there's nothing you can accuse God of that isn't already found in this book, crying out by one of his own people, saying, God, why? Like, God has already put those words in here for us. He knows how broken our world is. He knows the accusations that live in your heart. He's written them down for us. 
He doesn't want your eloquence. He doesn't want your performance. He doesn't just want your best side. He wants your doubts, your fear, your anger. God can't work with who you ought to be. He can only work with who you really are. And he wants all of you. Is that the God you pray to? Jeremiah's God. Okay, so there's nothing, there's nothing you can say to God that he doesn't already know. So tell him, right? That's kind of the idea. But then be quiet. Like, like back up. Let, let, him, let him speak because he's got something to say as well. To you, to me, and certainly here to, to Jeremiah. And so it's almost like, you know, God is, like, steps back, okay, let me stop you right there, Jeremiah. Uh, thanks for being honest with me. I really appreciate that. Um, but I hope you don't mind. I'm going to be honest with you, right? It's kind of the idea, because then God rebukes him. Look at, look at verse 19. Therefore, this is what the Lord says to Jeremiah. He says, Jeremiah, if you return, like if you come back, I will take you back. You will stand in my presence And if you speak noble words rather than worthless ones, you will be my spokesman. Listen, it is they, he says, they who must return to you. You must not return to them. And I don't don't think God so much here is rebuking him for for his prayer, but for for who he's been listening to. That's kind of the surrounding context here in this part of Jeremiah, right? He's caught in the middle. And so God is saying, yes, keep preaching, Jeremiah. Don't stop doing that. But remember, it is my wayward people who have to turn to you. Don't give in to them. I mean, basically, he's, he's asking, like, are you going to listen to them or are you going to listen to me? To me? Who's it going to be, Jeremiah? You can't listen to both. Which voice is going to be loudest? See, again, part of Jeremiah's frustration is he's just, he's caught in the middle. He's, he's more concerned with popular opinion than with God's. I mean, we've been there, right? He's busy trying to please everyone. God is just like, you can't do that. It's me or nobody, right? And this has made me wonder. Again, thinking about my own, my own ways I, I pray. Like, do I pray to a God who can interrupt me like that? I mean, maybe not, you know, hearing audible voices. That's not, I'm not saying that. But one, a God who can stop me, rebuke me, tell me I'm wrong, right? Tell me no, right? Challenge me, interact with me. And do I give space in my time of prayer to listen, to hear him interrupt me? Eugene Peterson, he he describes it a little bit like this. He kind of paints a picture. I mean, he says everybody prays, right? We all throw up our prayers at the Almighty. Uh, But real prayer, he says, is something quite different. And he paints this picture of it being like having dinner uh, with a friend or a lover. Like you're there and it's it's intimate, it's personal, and there's, there's times of, of interaction and conversation. Uh, there's times of, of silence when nothing happens, but even the silence is meaningful. And yes, yes, there's a waiter there, and he, he comes by, and he asks, maybe asks the waiter some questions, and you, you know, he takes your order, and you send back the broccoli because it's cold, and eventually maybe you give the waiter a tip. And I mean, that, that, that kind of picture. And then dinner's over. Again, this is him talking about prayer. Dinner's over, but you still, even as you go out in the street, you're still in relationship with that person, right? The conversation isn't over, and yet there's something intimate that's happening during the dinner time. And then he, he, so that's his picture of prayer. And then he says this, listen, he says, prayer is the desire to listen to God firsthand. He says that first. To speak to God firsthand, and then setting the time and making the arrangements to do it, like having, having dinner 
But then listen to what he says. He says, there is a parody, though, of prayer that we engage in all too often. The details are the same, but, the two, but with two differences. The person across the table, so often when we pray, is self, and the waiter is God. He is someone to whom you give orders, make complaints, and maybe at the end, give him thanks. The person you are absorbed in when you pray is yourself. Yeah, that feels a lot like me. And I don't know about you, but so often it's like, yeah, I have my own thoughts. You know, is it really just my own quiet solitude time, space for my brain to think? Or am I, am I truly like waiting on the God of the universe to interact with me? To be able to, to, to enter into relationship with him and for him to be able to communicate back with me. Because a friend, I mean, a friend can interrupt you, challenge you, tell you what to do, tell you no. A waiter can only bring you stuff, right? But a friend can, can give you himself. And so when, when you pray, are you after stuff or are you after God? I mean, yes, God tells us to bring our requests to him and that he is like a good father longing to give good gifts to his children. But is that, is that our... Is that our only motivation when we pray? I just want something from you, God? Are we, are we after stuff from him or are we after him? And are, are we taking the time to, re- to really listen? Is his voice louder than all the others? Is the God who made you, is he the one you're seeking to listen to? And I know, I know, even talking about it, listening to God is hard, it's fuzzy. You know, it's so, it, you know, it just makes my mind hurt a little bit. How does God communicate with me? But let me say, we often forget this. We have, we have his word written down for us. I mean, this book ought to be our continual dialogue partner when we pray. I mean, always pray with this book open, right? Ready to listen. His voice is here, but, but is, it, is it loudest? Do we, do we create the space, right? Do we put our devices away just to have silence in our lives? We turn off the radio for five minutes. People say, God, do you have, do you have anything to say? about my life, about what I'm doing, my choices? Like, do you want to interrupt me? Do we, do we have enough silence to be able to do that? And do you even pray to a God that you would want to interrupt you, to challenge you? Hmm. All right, so God does this. He rebukes, he rebukes Jeremiah. Stand before me, Jeremiah, not them, okay? I'm your audience, not them. And then he kind of transitions here towards the end. He says, basically, listen, listen, Jeremiah, I, I know I've already told you this, but let me tell you again, verse, verse 20, look what he says. And this, these are God's words to Jeremiah. He says, I, I, Jeremiah, will make you to this people, right? The rebellious people who hate him and persecute him and keep just causing all kinds of problems for him. I will make you to them a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you. Like, it's gonna be ugly. It's gonna hurt. I'm not going to make them stop. But they shall not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. Now, if you've, if you've been with us, I don't, maybe those words sound a little familiar to you. You think back. I mean, this is what God has already told Jeremiah. In fact, just in chapter 1, he told him this twice when God calls Jeremiah. He says almost these exact words. He says it again here in chapter 15 when Jeremiah needs this reminder so desperately. He says, says it again later in chapter 30, chapter 42, chapter 46. Some of the exact same words. For I am with you, Jeremiah, to save you and deliver you. God already said it. 
I mean, why does he bother repeating himself? Isn't that kind of weird? I mean, besides, like Jeremiah, he doesn't, he doesn't deserve, Jeremiah blew it. Right? He's been listening to others. God's voice is, in Jeremiah's life has been minimal, right? And he's just kind of had this blow up with God, right, in prayer. I mean, it's almost more likely that you kind of would think, you know, God's having second thoughts. Like, did I make a mistake calling Jeremiah or something? And yet, instead, he says it again. I don't know what that means to you, but as I've I've thought about that, I mean, I I mean, I can just I can just say like for me, you know, Kelly, my wife, she she said I love you to me a lot of times. Um, and the first time she said it was meaningful, I still remember that, right? Of course, it meant something. It It was powerful. That wasn't the most important, though. Not not in my opinion. And, and, you know, when I proposed and when we got married, like, all that meant a lot. We started our lives together. We had kids. I mean, all those are, yes, that, that mattered. I remember those moments. They're good moments. I'm not minimizing those. But it's not when it's meant the most to me. It's 15 years later, and still she says it. Like, and she knows me now, right? Like, she's, she's seen me. It's not a joke, people, okay? Like, she's seen the selfishness. It's after I hurt her or ignore her or respond selfishly to her, and still she says it. That's when it means the most to me. And so let let me just ask one more question. Do you pray to a God who will say it again and again and again and again and again and again, over and over, as many times as we need to hear it, because it'll never tire, will it? to say the words, I am with you. Sometimes, sometimes when I pray, I know I go to God looking for like new information, a new answer, like something fresh, right? When so often what we really need is just an old promise. Yeah, but I'm with you. Because our, our God, he never promises to make life easy for us. Like to give us all the little things that we want or the things that distract us or to, you know, take out all the, all the road bumps and Give us that parking space or whatever. Like, there's no promise for that. Maybe he will and he longs to give his children good gifts. Of course he does. But what he promises us is to be with us. No matter how ugly it gets, no matter how hard it becomes, no matter the pain that you feel or the loss that you've experienced or the doubts that you have, he says, I am with you to rescue you, to deliver you. Friends, this life is too big for us. You, you, can't, you can't do it on your own. It is too hard. You will be trampled by those horses. And you and I both will make all kinds of mistakes along the way, and yet the answer is still the same for those who trust in him. I'm with you. I'm with you. Will that be enough for you? The way you pray reveals the kind of God you believe in, and ours is a God who says it again and again and again again. I know what some of you are thinking. I'm thinking it too. Yeah, but I don't, I don't feel that he's with me. Like, how, how do I know that he's with me? How do I feel that, right? He, sometimes he feels so distant when it hurts. I know, I know it's, it's hard. And, and yet in Jesus's last words to his disciples, to his church, to us, to you and to me, like Matthew ends his gospel with this. He says, Jesus says to you, I am with you always to the end of the age. And Paul later on in the book of Romans says that, um, says basically that if, like if God gave his own son, like if he did that, like gave up his own son for you and for me, then what will he withhold? Like what's left for him to, like I'm not gonna give that, I'll give, like 
He will give us anything we need that's truly best for us. And he died and he rose again to make that true for you. Defeated death so that darkness and sin no longer have to have the last word for you and he will say it again and again and again. I am with you. Have you talked with him lately? I mean, really talked with him. Like, like a real human to a real person. Like, like Jeremiah does. He wants, he wants all of you. Anything you could possibly be holding back, he wants it. And, and are, you, are you listening for him to interrupt you, to speak to you through his word, through his, his spirit? Is his voice loudest for you? And will you trust that ultimately his answer for you is always the same? It's always the best, always what you truly need. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. Well, let's do that now. In fact, let's take, let's take a few minutes to do that. It seems like it'd be hasty to just kind of rush over, wouldn't it? We're going to take just a few minutes. And for some of you, I'm just going to call it out. For some of you, it's going to feel really awkward to have this much silence. Uh, for others of you, you can just get bored and sleepy, take a little nap. You're welcome, I guess. Um, others of you, it's going to be the first time you've, you've heard silence in a really, really long time, and it's going to feel like a breath of fresh air. Soak in it. Enjoy it. Use this time to hear from God. And regardless of how you feel going into this, just don't, don't disengage. Don't check out. Don't really fall asleep. And so we're going to take about a minute, a minute or so of quiet. And then Patrick, he's going to lead us in a few short prayers, each of which will be followed by more silence uh, to kind of guide us along as we pray and as we listen. So let's, let's take this time to quietly pray and listen together. Let's pray. Lord, hear our prayers of confession for what we have done and what we have left undone. Lord, hear our prayers of lament for the things that break our heart and for the things that break yours. Lord, hear our prayers of need for the ways in which we struggle to live as your people in this broken world.
And Lord, hear our prayers of thanksgiving as we celebrate all that you are and all that you have done for us. Hear this prayer of the church. Dear Heavenly Father, we lower our heads before you and we confess that we have too often forgotten that we are yours. Sometimes we carry on our lives as if there was no God and we fall short of being a credible witness to you. For these things, God, we ask your forgiveness and we also ask for your strength. Give us clear minds and open hearts so we may witness to you in our world. Remind us to be who you would hold us, remind us to be who you have made us to be, regardless of what we're doing or who we're with. Hold us to you and build our relationship with you and with those you have given on this earth. Amen. Amen. Um, it is such a good thing to, to be brought to our minds the fact that God does not expect us to come with, with as Nathan said, with, with eloquence and performance. That we worship and believe in a God who, who doesn't just expect but demands us to come to him in our full humanity, and our full rawness and emotion. I mean, it's a reason why the, the word of God, his inspired word, is filled with, with prayers of lament and pain and sorrow and doubt. That God wants this to be a part of the vocabulary of our prayer. And it reminds me of the words of C.S. Lewis who said that, you know, that we, when it comes to prayer, we must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. And that is just a good reminder for us that what God expects is our full honesty and rawness. Well, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a joy to worship with you, to gather with you. Again, if you're, if you're new, we'd love to meet you and greet you. And, and also just if you would like prayer, if you'd like someone to pray with you, uh, Nathan will be up here. I'll, I'll be in the back. We'd love to pray with you and for you if there's anything we can join you in prayer for. So as we leave this place, uh, our benediction, I wanted to read from Psalm 6 that gives us this vocabulary of prayer. So here are these raw, honest words that the Lord has inspired for us. I am weary with my moaning every night, and I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. But depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. Go in peace knowing that the Lord has accept, accepts your prayers. Amen. Go in peace.